Welcome to this week's episode of the Top Podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and joining with me are my friends, Lou. Cow. And Mike. The joke continues, see? Oh, gosh. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Canceled. Welcome to the Top Podcast with the dynamic duo. No. <laughs> I got this weird sense of deja vu. I don't know what it's coming from, though. Weird. Probably the aliens. But each week, we like to start off the episode with an ice. We should do a conspiracy podcast. That'd be cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Go find a corner. Stick your head in I'm already in a corner <laughs> where the chair is, but you know. So like I was saying, each week we start off with an icebreaker. Feel free to ask us anything on our socials, on YouTube, or email us at thetoppodcast at gmail.com. But Mike, what's the icebreaker for this week? So I'm curious what your favorite food item for, at a sporting event has been. For me, it was I went to a U of M game when I was younger. And all I knew it was some it was some kind of hot sub. In hindsight, it was just a chicken cheesesteak. It probably wasn't even that good, but I'd never had a chicken cheesesteak before and it blew my mind. And it's just stuck with me for all these years. I know what you were thinking about today. No, I was just desperately trying to come up with a icebreaker. And then Rob mentioned you playing football and I was like, stadium food done. Uh, I don't know if this counts as one, but my college team was very poor. And so we had to work the concession stands. I can't remember which sport it was because I did football and I did baseball. But either one of those, either Ford Field or Comerica Field. I think it was Comerica. I worked a little Caesar stand or food place. I don't know what you would call it. And they couldn't they would count everything, but they didn't count how much toppings I ate. And so I was spooning just meat in my mouth. Yeah, the sausages, right? Weren't you shoving down sausages? I was just, well, it wasn't just the sausage. The bacon and the sausage and the ham were all mixed together for that multi-meat. The the meat lovers. uh, Yeah. So I was. He was loving that meat. I I had the worst diarrhea in my entire life. But at least I wasn't stealing beer. Some of my football coworkers were not drinking water. Well, safe to say. But. Then my favorite stadium food was just the toppings of meat lovers. My real answer has to be on Ford Field for Thanksgiving Day. They sell turkey legs. So that's just super unique. And it's honestly like the same price as like maybe it's a dollar two more than a hot dog. And it's a big old turkey leg. So uh, it's a it's a yeah, it's a good deal when it comes to stadium food. But my cop out answer which I don't think it really counts. I guess it counts if lose counts. But I was working the for high school. We would do kind of go to U of M games, work a football game. And I've told the story on the podcast mm-hmm. before, but I got pulled up to the booth. So they were giving prime rib to, you know, all the the rich, fancy, you know, execs oh, and everything. Great. So uh, obviously prime rib beats out a turkey leg. But I don't know if that actually counts. I mean, sure. <laughs> that works. What do you think uh, Taylor Swift's? favorite stadium food is she probably has what's that list that like rock stars have there's a name for like their list that has like their basically their demands like if i'm gonna come play here you have to have these (laughs) i know exactly what you're talking about i just heard it recently i cannot remember the name though mike what was your list like when you would play at venues have a stage Um, and (laughs) yeah forget a stage just let me plug into something and let's go I just picture you plugging in things that are not what you should be plugging into. <laughs> plugging a guitar into like a power socket. <laughs> he put his he's running his guitar through the coffee filter. <laughs> <laughs> just like a cup of coffee or something. Yeah, I don't know. Plug. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. And the bubbles go up. <laughs> Mike, why don't you introduce us this week's topic? 
Well, uh, clearly we need to uh, class it up a little bit around here. So this week we're going to be discussing our top five novels. Um, we're doing one per series. So you can't have all 14 of the Wheel of Times. Um, <laughs> Shots, and, fired. Uh, Shots fired. I wouldn't want 10 anywhere <laughs> near my list anyway, so that's okay. Fair. And then I, I personally went with one per author just because it, helped me narrow down the list, but that's that was not part of the restrictions placed on everybody. That was just something I needed to get me through the, the editing process. Well, Mike, why don't you tell us what your number five is? My number five is Patrick Rothfuss' Rothfuss' book, The Name of the Wind. I'm not a huge fantasy guy. I don't know if you guys have experienced this. When I start a new fantasy book and there's all the lore that they're introducing, but they're not trying to introduce it like you have no idea what's going on. They're trying to like subtly work it in and then you just got to pick it up as you go. It feels like waking up in class for a final for a class you didn't know you had. You know, it's like waking up for a final exam and being like, I haven't studied at all. Like, I hate the feeling of starting a new fantasy book because there's all this lore and I feel totally lost. And this happened with that book, too. And it actually took me a re- like a good chunk of time to get into it. And I actually put it down and then came back to it. And it turns out I put it down right before this part where I thought it got really good. And when I came back to it, it just completely enthralled me. I was just it was the only thing I was thinking about from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. And I was working my warehouse gig so I could listen. And I would literally listen eight hours a day. And that was a point where. I, I had a hard set rule. I wasn't listening to audiobooks outside of work. I was listening to audiobooks eight hours a day regularly. This is the only book that ever made me break that rule where I'd get home and I'd keep listening because I was just so obsessed. It's got a really unique and interesting magic system. The main character is he's hyper competent, like he's uh, almost or that's what he wants you to think. <laughs> or that's what yeah there's the idea that maybe he's not as good as as we think he is as he but, thinks he is sorry i'm rambling all over the place yeah essentially what the the story is is it's this this chronicler his na- nickname is the chronicler but this chronicler of of stories in the land tracks down this innkeeper and he's like i know that you're quoth and I want to get your stories. And he finally talks this guy into giving him his story so he can write it all down. And so it's this legend of myth essentially telling his story, even though you can see that he's no longer this powerful, like, legendary figure. And so you don't know whether he's exaggerating his own stories or whether, in, in my opinion, what I think happened is something happens between the end of his tale that he tells and what would be present day that, you know, has stripped him of some of his power, like something went wrong or he made some kind of choice. But yeah, it's just it's a super fascinating book. I was completely enthralled. I know Rob wasn't crazy about it, but it was one of the only books I've ever read that really made me like fantasy. There's two mainline books. We've been waiting on the third for like eight years now. I don't know that it's ever coming, but as a result of this insane drought between books, the community has just delved into it and there's all these theories and you can just spend hours on YouTube and Reddit putting your own theory together and looking at all the things people have say. And it's it's very interesting. But actually, the thing that I appreciate most about this book. Sorry, I know I've been going for a long time, so I'll, I'll cut it here. I had basically given up on writing. It was something I tried for a very short amount of time 
And I was just not happy with the tone of my writing, uh, which is just kind of the flow and the style, the voice. It's a very abstract term that you kind of just understand if you read a lot. And there, something just clicked. I read this book and the way he wrote just I, I was like, you can tell a story like this. You can do these things. And I decided to keep writing because I was so just I, I wanted to write like he wrote. That was what kind of got me over the hump. And I've been writing for four or five years since reading this book for the first time. Aside from just loving this book, it holds an incredibly special place in my heart because it's kind of the thing that got me to stick with what otherwise would have been a flash in the pan hobby. And I, I will say Rothis does have some of the best pros in the game. Like that's it. Oh my gosh. I, I think it carries more than the, 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 the actual plot itself. His prose carries him more than that. Mm-hmm. That's uh I don't think that's a hot take, but that that's a, that's no, my take I don't either. It. Honestly, because yeah. like a little bit, the stories are kind of long and meandering, but he's just got really good characters that interact in a really just enjoyable way. And then the prose and it is just mind boggling, like the way he'll introduce little sayings and he, he just like little small ways where he he'll say something simple, but in a way I never would have thought to to phrase it. And it's just I, I am always blown away by the way he tells his story, even if the story itself can drag on and be way longer than it needs to be. He tells it in such a like, compelling way. For a non-writer, what is a pro? Pros are just kind of... I actually have the it, definition somewhere because I, I yeah. didn't use it early on. It is written yeah. or spoken language in its ordinary form without metrical structure. So it's yeah, kind of just how they just speak. the way you write. write. Yeah. Lou, what's your number five? All right, my number five. I feel like I always have to give the explanation before I just start riddling on my five. So, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I just started reading again. I visited my mom recently, and she has all the books that I read pretty much as a kid all the way to my teenage years. And I was just super inspired by by that. And so instead of talking about like my all-time favorite books, because I feel like I haven't read my favorite book yet, I'm going to talk about the books that I kind of grew up on that kind of shaped me a little bit to who I am. I love that. Uh, yeah, because sorry, that but, feeling is because you haven't finished A Prelude to the Forest. I was about to say it's because you haven't started Dream Riders. <laughs> so many dead kids. Um, <laughs> let's yeah. So number five is Hardy Boys, The Tower Treasure. So I had if I had to be Hardy honest with you. Boys. Yeah, if I had to be honest with you, I there I can't it came in a pack of different books. So I don't really have personally a favorite favorite book. I just picked The Tower of Treasure because I it was just the first one that came up. As I was doing my freaking book reports, like I had homework for this damn podcast, I started, I noticed like some weird stuff. I was on some weird websites. Not that weird. Don't, you guys have dirty minds. I found this like old school, you guys remember like how websites used to look like back in the day? Just like really old school, small yeah. fonts, big, like big pictures. Mm-hmm. So I was like scrolling through. And so the person that quote unquote, the author of this book was called Franken, Franklin W. Dotson. I just want to thank Dixon. Mike. Yep. I just want to thank. I appreciate that. I I'm literally to- looking at the picture right now because I wanted to see if it's the Hardy Boys that I read. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Yes, it is. I, I just I did not have that offhand. I just want to make that clear. No, I, I, I mean. Just- Happen no, to be looking at the cover. Big Hardy Boys <laughs> no fan, Mike no, is. No disrespect, my guy. That yeah, was, what was that I going was, with this? That was not a good prose, what I just said right there. <laughs> it's like Yoda. <laughs> Before all this, I want to thank Mike for butchering his first author's name. So now it gives me the right to <laughs> literally say every single name wrong because I'm terrible at reading names. But I say all this to say 
that I don't think Franklin W. Is it Dixon or Doxon? Doxon. Dixon. Shoot. That Dixon uh, was an actual person. Apparently, back in like the 1930s, there was a, a syndicate writers who wrote a lot of children's books. And uh, Franklin is actually Franklin D. Whatever isn't an actual person. There's just ghostwriters who just wrote children's books, and That's there was no really internet cool. back in the 1930s, so nobody really cared. I say this all to say, uh, Hardy Boys was one of the first books I remember reading that wasn't for school that I just picked up myself. Uh, it's just like if you never read the Hardy Boys, it's just a classic, old school classic mystery. The Tower Treasure is about uh, somebody who stole money. And then just there's two boys called Frank and Joe Hardy that have to figure out who stole who stole some cash or jewels or something like that. It's an easy read. It's fun. It's informative. All right, Robert, what is your number five? Well, I, was, I was just waiting, just making sure. So I'm going to I'm going to bring down the tone here a bit. And I will say this is technically not a novel for the well, I guess it's a larger percent because Mike listens to this. But. For if you're like the rest of the population that doesn't know the exact word count of for a novel length, <laughs> this one is under it. It's only about, I think it's 3,500 words instead of the average. I think it's the standard 60,000. But this one written in 1956, like I said, it's 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 a hard having book that is Night by Eleazar Weasel, I think it is. And it's his firsthand account of surviving Auschwitz in Buchenwald. It won a Nobel Peace Prize. Like it, it it's such there's no way to ex- explain like the atrocities that man did to another man in World War II. And I just think we talked about it. It's not going to make the pod. We talked about pre-pod. There's some some pretty hateful stuff people are throwing out into the world. And I just it, it breaks my heart. And like it's like going to the Holocaust Museum. You don't want to go. It's like you're not going to have a good time. It's going to suck. But you need to see it. You need to know what this history is about. Uh, I, I should mention it's a uh, 144 pages, which is about four hours and 25 minutes if you're listening to the audiobook, it, it's just so crazy. You kind of see how his, his family goes through the the night of broken glass and his mindset where he's separated from his family. And that's the last time he sees like all of them, except for his dad. And he ends up becoming like a almost the protector and caretaker for his dad as his dad gets dysentery and gets sick. And it's just heartbreaking to read the atrocities he went through. One that comes to, to mind um, just off the top of my brain is Near the end of his father's, I think it was the night his father died, he was crying out, Eliezer, like, help me, like, and all that. And the, the, his Nazi guards were telling him to shut up, and they ended up beating him and just be, keep on beating him. And he's crying out to his son, and his son's getting mad at his dad because he thinks they're going to come after him next. And it's just, like, so heartbreaking to see what all this trauma and hatred and anger and pure evil can do to someone, especially as a kid. And how it must stick with him the rest of his life. It's it's not going to be a fun read, but you're going to come out a different person on the end. And for that, uh, that in itself, I I just cannot not recommend this because it, it is a life changing book. And you, I read it all in one day and I I came home. I told my wife, we need to watch something happy because I am depressed AF right now. So you, you don't have to do that. But, yeah, I think everyone should read this. And it, it it's just life changing. And. We can together, we can learn from the mistakes and just like not have the hatred of our of, our, of people's past and all that and strive to, to work, build a better humanity, regardless of what your religion, race, personal beliefs are. And yeah, go read it. That's as serious and as deep as I'm going to get in this podcast. So 
Don't All worry. right. I was. I would hope. Yeah, I was, I was like, man, you're shooting from the hip if that's the that's the number five. Yeah. Can only imagine number one. Is, yeah, I feel like I don't want to say anything because of how powerful what you said. Yeah, we can we can just go bloop to number four. Hopefully, bring up the 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 mood, Mike. I I was gonna bust out this whole Alex Jones bit about the Auschwitz just being trauma actors. Oh my gosh! And then uh, you had such an impassioned speech. I was like, halfway through, I was like, mm, maybe not. Yeah, your mouse is like rotating on the exit button. It's <laughs> just <laughs> should I? I was like, joke, joke. Yeah, nope. I was like, I'll bring up the mood. It'll be fun. No, <laughs> not my late, late time. All right, my number four is, and honestly, this is one I, I I have such a hard time picking between two books. I went with The Wastelands by Stephen King. Basically, it's book three of the Dark Tower series. And book two and book three are two of the most interesting and inventive stories I've ever read in my entire life. As I've sat down and weighed the two today, I think two is the more complete book, whereas really three, I like the first half of three more than anything I've almost ever read. But the second half is almost a whole new story. But essentially, I don't want to spoil too much. Essentially, in the first book, a character dies. And then in the second book, the gunslinger starts, he's walking along this beach and these doors start appearing and he has to go through all these doors and he goes from his fantasy world, midworld, into our earth at different time periods and he starts pulling the people that fate have decided are going to be part of his team. It's called a katet is the, the term that they use in midworld. So he starts pulling these people out of reality in different times And in the process, he saves the life of the person who died in the first book before that person get the timeline's a little fuzzy, but he saves the life of this person who would then later later die. And so you start in the third book, you have the main character, the gunslinger starts going crazy because him in midworld and this this guy who's alive in our world, but no, like he's supposed to be dead. And because he died in Midworld, but he's alive in Earth, there's this weird psychic dissonance that starts happening with the character. And because the two characters are linked, they're sharing this weird psychosis and they have to find a way to get to what's called a thinny, which is this one of the like a a thin place between the worlds where they can eventually find a way to pull this person into Midworld in order to reconcile both their insanities. And it was just it was the weirdest time paradox sci fi mixed with fantasy I've ever experienced. But it was so brilliant and it's really hard to describe. Like, I feel like I just butchered what was an incredibly well thought out and elegant story. It absolutely blew my mind. I couldn't put the book down and it was like nothing I've ever read before. And then the second half of the book is still really good. But that first half, it could be a book all on its own and I wouldn't have complained. Yeah, I'm disappointed the, the movie was trash. So It looked like it had potential by the trailers, but I heard it was just awful. I'd be interested to see it because I know Jacob has he's he's I mean, Jacob tends to have very positive reviews. Um, like if you look at his average score for a movie, it'll tend to skew higher than the the average score for that movie on on a large scale. 
Yeah, I mean, that's but, a good mindset to have. Yeah, I mean, he'd rather like things than dislike things. Like, it's yeah, not yeah. no knock to him at all. It's just it's also fair to understand where somebody like when you get a review from somebody, it's good to know where they tend to lean. Yeah, you know, more pessimistic, sure. more optimistic. I, he's told me that um, essentially it, it's takes it's like books. I want to say one, two, three and four, like all run together. But also that it's because the Dark Tower is a loop through time and it repeats over and over and over. He's like, theoretically, it might actually be a different trip through the story. And he's he said a lot of things that made me go, oh, maybe it's not as bad as people have talked about. And maybe people were upset that it wasn't what they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you go in with proper expectations, it might not be that bad. But I've never actually seen it. So it is something I'd be interested to check out, though. That's like the one Stephen King series I thought of reading. When, yeah, the first three books are incredible. I was gonna say, when should I cut off? I heard there's a heart, there's a, a a point where it's just like it's not good after this. It, it varies based on who you ask. Honestly, one's only okay. I think he wrote it in high school though, so you kind of give it like some slack. And then it's really like it's the kind of book that's fun to reread. But the first time I read it, I was like, I don't get the hype. Two is one of the most complete and fascinating books I've ever read. Three is good. Another problem with three is that it ends on a crazy cliffhanger. King has this thing. He he calls it. Um, oh, what is it like waiting on the wind? He, he he writes when the wind blows, when the wind fills your sails, you write like his whole thing is like you. You always be ready. You always keep your skills sharp. So when inspiration hits, you can catch as much of it of the wind in your sails and go as far as you can. And he basically was like the wind stopped blowing. So I stopped writing the story. And then it, it took eight or nine years for him to come up with the next part. And so the beginning of four is just the end of three. Like he just wraps up the third book and then is like, oh, now uh, all of these people are together and they're like, hey, tell us a story. And then the gunslinger essentially tells a story about his past. And so it wraps up three and then jumps into a prequel. It's really weird. And then there's a another really hard tonal shift at five and six where you meet like you start meeting characters from other books and it's I think that's around the point where he had sobered up and so I stopped enjoying them around five and six yeah but who there's other people him? who are like yeah no. well I mean a little bit uh I was like a joke it's a weird thing I'm proud well, of no, you, I get it I'm but proud it's of you like, Stephen it's awesome that he sobered up but and honestly he has written some some of the new king is really top notch and some of coked out of his mind Stephen King is it, it makes no sense you're like how, <laughs> how did this get published Lou what's your number four all right my number four is the most obnoxious one out of the list it's Alex Ryder Eagle Strike uh, 2003 by Anthony Horitz sorry if I butchered your name it's about a British spy a teenager he was an M16 spy I like this book because it was just I don't know it scratched my little boy brain in this in this uh so in this spy book Alex has to investigate activities of a ruthless billionaire intent on making the world better place by deploying 25 nuclear bombs around the world to put an end to the drug trade oh. and uh yep high stakes it all made sense to me <laughs> 25 nukes why not <laughs> just just an absolute banger in my eyes. I do not recommend this book. I <laughs> would probably never come to this book again. Uh, but at the time, I was like, Alex Ryder's doing good work, man. Doing the uh, Lord's work over there. Doing the Lord's work. You got to love it. So is he um, is it like a James Bond ripoff? Just- it's pretty much a James Bond ripoff. Yeah, I think my favorite part of book four, if I had a memory correctly, I couldn't. I couldn't pin it down, but at one point he becomes he becomes trapped in this maze like video game 
he was playing the video game for fun, and then he wakes up and he's in the video game in real life. Ah, Jumanji. And and pretty much, yeah, yeah, uh, like a simulation of the video game. I don't know. I was just like, oh, this guy, this guy. F- <laughs> and then at one point he gets shot in the heart and survives all the crazy preteen things that you could think of to get a kid just excited to read was in this book and i was all for it i have a question mm, yes so the british secret service is mi6 okay was was this this character said he was an m16 was that a clever semi-clever joke by the author or did you just misspeak I'm assuming, based off of the book report that I had to do, since I copied and pasted off of the description, <laughs> like I did okay. all of my book reports growing up. Uh, I did like. Oh, you, oh, oh! I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because am I? If I'm just yeah. calling you out and being a dick. You, yes, you, you are calling this. me out. Okay, no, yeah, no, totally, you're uh, calling me out. Like, you, you are probably right. It is I, not M16. Very cool. Good job. Good. Good. I'm sorry, the OCD just started. The second you said it, it was just like mm, my brain itches. But yes, also, I apologize. So funny. I think it was a good choice. Like, I thank you so much. You know, I try to bring a little pizzazz into the podcast. But yes, uh, I apologize, United Kingdom. I know uh, we have avid listeners. We are the number one podcast in the UK. I don't know if you know guys don't know that or not. Don't look it up. Um, just take our word for it. Just take our trust word us. for it. But yes. Source, M- trust uh, me, bro. MI6. Yes, yes, yes. I think we're going to have Ildris Alba in our pod. Yeah, he, he's on the guest list. He's on the guest list? Okay. Yeah. Talk about we'll the Dark Tower. You know. Oh, he yeah. was in the Dark Tower. You're right. Him and Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Yes. We have for our 420 episode, we'll get Matthew on here. So my number four, I feel like I'm the Michael of this this week's podcast because this was released in 1937 holy crap it is 304 pages long about which is about 10.5 hours on on audiobook written by the man the myth the legend john ronald raul tolkien and that is the hobbit oh good choice i'm just gonna read the opening to the book and you can see why it's like such he was prolific first time and everything but it's quote in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and of oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. End quote. And arguably that section, bam, start a modern fantasy right there. And this led to him. He wrote it for his kids. And I believe he actually wrote that section. One of his students turned in a blank thing for like a test. And he's just like, this is how you would start a story. And he wrote that. That's the, ur- the urban legend for it. And I'm, it goes more in depth later. But he wrote a, basically a story for his kids. And it just exploded. And I think it, when it comes to Middle Earth itself, this is the most digestible piece of Middle Earth that he wrote and published in his lifetime. 100%. And it's great as a kid as much as and it's great as an adult. Like it's a very enjoyable, easy read. I haven't listened to the Andy Circus read through. I have it on Audible, but I, I haven't gotten around to reading it. But the person that plays Gollum in the movies does the narration. And I just think that that's super cool. And without Tolkien and kind of what he's done, not only has, is it a great book, but like fantasy, as I said, changed forever with the publication of that. And then the Lord of the Rings. And then even with cinema, like it's had huge things on cinema without the Lord of the Rings live action films in the early 2000s. I don't think we get shows like Game of Thrones and things like that, because if you look at 80s, 90s fantasy, not very good, very cheesy and corny. And Peter Jackson was turned down in a lot of places. So it showed that these can be profitable. And so I'm going to have the father of modern fantasy at my number four. And it's just a great story. 
Yeah, dude. The Hobbit is still one of my favorites. I definitely considered it. Also one of my wife's favorites. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic. I don't know. I can't for the life of me choke down Lord of the Rings books. I just I don't don't like it. And it blows my mind that the same guy wrote The Hobbit, because I think The Hobbit just is it's so easy to read. It's so engaging. It's so good. I just I can't fathom why people read the lord of the rings i like the lord of the rings i like the audio drama i like the movies i like the story i just can't stand his writing in those books watch you for some reason like the Cimmerillion. like you're just like yeah that would be so funny <laughs> <laughs> the bible of lord of the rings love it love the hobbit can't stand lord of the rings lou have you read the hobbit no i've seen the first i saw the first movie I can't remember the names of them. And Not the Hobbit, the, the Lord of the Rings. Oh, the Fellowship? Fellowship. So I saw the Fellowship. I was like, okay, that's cool. I saw the extended... Then I switched to the extended version of the second book, and I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I was so lost. Might have been a choice for the, the first one. It might not have been the best way to do it. Yeah, I might come back to it again when I'm sick. So I watched the second one when I was sick and uh, with a disease that I will not share on the podcast because I know a virus, not a disease. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no comment. I, I mean, I clap when I need to, when it's appropriate. But yeah, I just like, I really couldn't. Honestly, the reason why I went tried to watch Lord of Rings is because it was an older woman that I really looked up to that just like praised the Lord of the Rings for like four hours. And I'm like friends with some of her kids. And I was just like, I... I feel like I should show some respect and, and try to watch the Lord of the Rings. She was just like spouting as I feel like as a has a negative term to it, but she was talking to us about the Lord of the Rings with me and Christian, but I've never seen it. But she was going in the most detailed way possible. And I was just like, ah, I'm so sorry that I can't be on this journey with you. No. I woke up way too early. Like you know when you wake up super early for no reason and like you're not even like you you don't you're not even aware of it necessarily, but you woke up so early that there's no room for emotional health. Like mm-hmm. you should have just gone back to bed. I got up at like four in the morning, wide awake. I was like, what the, all right, whatever. I'll just get up. And I, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm a watch the Lord of the Rings. So I threw in fellowship and the scene where they're like the concerning hobbits is rolling and they're just doing these wide sweeping shots of the Shire and they're playing the music. And I just got overwhelmed by this idea that like, the, the Lord of the Rings is kind of Tolkien's way of dealing with the war and explaining his story and the idea that the Shire is kind of like the peace that they were fighting for. And I got super overwhelmed by it and I just started tearing up and I was like, I think I need to just go back to bed. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he hates allegories. Come on. <laughs> I don't think There's you can write obviously. that many pages. Without a, at least accidentally having some allegory. Yeah, but that was his biggest criticism of uh, Lewis. He's like, it's, it's all an allegory. It is all an allegory, but it's a good one. Although there are definitely points with Lewis where I'll, I'm like, trying to figure out how this fits. And every now and then I have to step back and be like, it's still fiction. What's your number three, Mike? My number three. And this is another one where I just, uh, it was it was so hard for me to pick. But I went with Harry Potter and the... Order of the Phoenix. Not the one I expected. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Here's the thing. If your favorite is Prisoner of Azkaban, I got no beef. If you if, you know, your favorite is five Order of the Phoenix. Half-Blood Prince. Right. Half-Blood Prince. Literally all three of those. I mean, it really just came down to which one I felt like talking about today. Three and six are incredible. I think seven is not on the same level as those three books, but I think it is the perfect example of how to finale a series. And five is an interesting one because I 
absolutely hated it the first time I went through the books. I thought five was the worst one. And so I would just I would skip it most of the time when I'd reread the series. I couldn't stand it. And then I kind of took a long break from reading Harry Potter. It just kind of fell by the wayside. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to listen to next when I was working the warehouse job. And I was like, oh, you know what? Why don't we do Harry Potter? And four was it was my Goblet of Fire was my favorite for a long time. It was the first one I read cover to cover instead of watching the movie. And so I think I liked it because of that. And it had a like some nostalgia to it. And then but now I think it's one of the lower tier books. But it had been so long I mixed up Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix in my head. And I was like, oh hey, uh Libby, the the library app has the audiobook for for Order of the Phoenix. I can just snag it right now. I, I got like ten minutes in. I was like, oh crap, this is the wrong one. I hate this one. Whatever. It's long, it'll burn up a couple days. And I re-listened to it and I was like, this is incredible. Um, I think Dolores Umbridge might be one of, hands down, she's one of the greatest antagonists in all of books and movies. She's just incredible. There is almost nobody I've ever encountered in story that I love to hate as much as Dolores Umbridge. She just gets under my skin in the best possible way. I love there's lots of little things that J.K. Rowling does that I try to steal her techniques on. And this book highlights so many of my favorite storytelling techniques that she she utilizes. I love a lot of people complain that it takes so long to get to Hogwarts in four and five. But I think in five, it's super justified because they spend all this time in the Ministry of Magic. And then the fine the finale of the book takes place in the Ministry of Magic. And so at first it's like, ah, why are we spending all this time there? And then at the end of the book, you get to just have the finale and it's high paced and it's fast and it's awesome. And you're comfortable as a reader with this environment because you've already spent a couple chapters there. And so she doesn't have to waste any time acclimating you to the area. And I think that's just brilliant writing. Another thing that she's really good at is hiding critical pieces of information and foreshadowing and clues in these long lists of otherwise trivial and useless information. And so there's a point in five where they find a Horcrux and they don't even realize it. And it just gets tossed in a trash can. Like it it just, but it's just another item on this checklist of things they're throwing out. And so it's just, it's got so many things that I think JK Rowling does as a writer that she doesn't necessarily get credit for, but that set her apart in ways that people don't necessarily talk about as much. And also, I think the story is really good. And I think the idea of angry, mopey teenage Harry gets a little overblown. He is a 15 year old and he does. He gets a little moody, but it's a little justified. He's going through some stuff. It's the first book after he watches somebody die right in front of him and he's going through it. And I think that's I think it's good character growth. And uh, actually, sir, the first book is the first book after he watches someone die right in front of him because he watches his mom yeah, dying. But he doesn't remember it as it I'm just being now. Dumb. I do. I do get really worked up. I'll take my own glasses push up moment. The fact that you don't see the Thestrals until book five drives me nuts because he sees Cedric Diggory die 
And then theoretically, he like you you don't actually I, I'm going to say on screen because that's easier to understand. But you never like they, they don't return to the the train on screen. It just cuts to them being on the train. But he should have seen the Thestrals. And so book five, when he's like, ah, oh, what are these? Like I get from a nuts and bolts point that she hadn't even come up with the Thestrals yet. And it was something she introduced in book five. But he should have seen them already on the way to the train. And that irks me. That was one of my favorite parts about the beginning of Hogwarts Legacy. So you're just in this floating carriage. Then it's, oh, it's in like the first so three or four minutes and a dragon attacks it and someone dies right in front of the characters. And you see the Thestrals like appear out in front. I just thought that was such a cool. Yeah. I don't think you even you don't right know there. who dies. You like you don't see you just like it cuts to the outside and then the dragon bites down and the Thestrals appear and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, somebody just died. And like, it's such a great way of showing somebody just died without having to tell that somebody just died. So Fred and George, like they escape on that one. And you have the line, uh, one more lesson like that. And I might just pull a Weasley, which I <laughs> use on the regular. I use it just the other day. Never People look at me before. like I'm crazy, yeah. but Lou, you've been pretty quiet. Are you not a, a Potterhead? Oh, I, I like I I'm like a movie Potterhead. So my grandma used to take me to all the movies. So I remember like one of my fondest memories of my grandma is my remember going to every movie with her. Um, but I cannot hold any Harry Potter lore in my head to save my life. <laughs> and so there's nothing that I can add to this except for uh, I have this like internal goal that I'm going to somehow read or listen to all the Harry Potter books at some point in my life. Audible is a great way to do it. The narrator is world-renowned. Like, he's a world-class narrator. He's my mom's favorite narrator for The Christmas Carol. Like, the guy does Dickens (laughs) when he's not doing Harry Potter. Like, he's incredible. Through seven books, I think there are two minor errors in like just the voice like i think there's a point where he accidentally does vernon dursley's voice when he's supposed to be doing arthur weasley's voice for like three words and then there's a point where i don't think the there's necessarily a dialogue tag at the end so you could interpret who's talking differently and so it's like eh, maybe he messed that one up it depends on your interpretation but like it, yeah, he did an incredible job. There's so many characters and he has a unique and engaging voice for all of them. Oh, my gosh. I, I think that the audiobooks are such a good way to experience Harry Potter, especially because there's it's a lot of reading to do. It is. Yeah. And I don't I don't enjoy physically reading that much. Is his name Jim Dale? Jim Dale? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. OK. He did the Puss in Boots book, too. Like oh, did he? hilarious, yeah. But yeah, I I don't know if it was just me as a child, but I almost got the Harry Potter glasses, <laughs> and I think that would have been absolutely cute to see this this like chubby mixed kid with an afro wearing Harry Potter glasses. Lou, what's your number three? Boom. All right, cool. So my number three is when it like rubber hits the road a little bit. These are books that I would come back to at some point in my life. So yeah, so my number three is the Harry the Harry Potter. <laughs> Is the Hunger Games book, uh, book one by Suzanne Collins? Nailed it. Nah, ka-cha-ching. Uh, 2008. Absolute banger. Absolutely love it. If you don't know anything about the Hunger Games books, you've been living under a rock. It's For absolutely real. ridiculous. Where have you been? Uh, yeah, exactly. But just long story short, there's a big war. The capital won the war and then split the nation into districts, United States. Uh, one being like the most rich and then 12 being absolute coal miner, dirt poor stuff. So our main character, Katniss Everdeen, 
is is from the dirt poor stuff and to make sure that the capital holds its power they to which is on paper is absolutely ridiculous ridiculous i don't know who signed off for this book the capital hosts death matches two children from each district i think ages like eight to 17 at least eight i'm pretty sure it might be 12 that one tricks that one girl that like you know got the whole whistle thing was she was like super young he was super young. Yeah. At least do, uh, I mean, in my opinion, at least do weight classes. Good Lord. Um, right. But, you know. Hey, there's no weight yeah. classes in Fortnite. There were no weight classes in Fortnite. So there's death matches. They do death matches uh, from like super young to pretty much 17. And the old, the, the richer districts pretty much have like academies where people are training for the districts and then Katniss is just trying to survive. So as a child, as a, like a kid in 2008, I think I was in middle school. I absolutely loved it. And I think I loved it, the book and the movies for the wrong reason. So this new prequel came out called the hunger Games song, song bird and snakes. It was a prequel. I know I'm switching from book to book, but it was a prequel about the, probably the, the first hunger game or the first, like the fourth hunger game. And it really opened my eyes as an adult of what the author was really trying to say. So as a child, I just really enjoyed Katniss just shooting people with bow and arrows. And I love the, the love lore and all that stuff, but I don't think I really understood what the author was trying to say. I think a really good uh, example of this is there's a line in the book called stupid people are dangerous. I think that's really short and sweet to the point. True. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that today, actually. <laughs> looking at you nazi germany looking at you nazi germany and i and i and i didn't understand i knew that the rich people of the capital were like the bad people right but i i didn't really truly understand what how money and how wealth can just make you less of a person and it it really affected me in the prequel and it made me really appreciate the first book because in the prequel when they do the hunger games there's no kids that are training to, to 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 win right some of these kids in in the prequel they're missing arms they're super skinny because they literally just got out of a war it took all all the excitement of the actual game and it really put in perspective of like killing is is against human nature and then katniss as she's she's a skilled hunter and she knows how to hunt but she, even her she knows that like killing animals and killing people are two different things and it's it's not right to kill people. And it's super I know it's super easy to explain, but recently I it really like opened my eyes to to what the author was trying to say. And it was just I don't know, it was cool for me to understand it. Have you guys read The Hunger Games? I have not. I read it so I got this thing from school. I do not remember the details well. But essentially, it was like, hey, you're low vision, so we're gonna give you this program that will read your audiobooks to you and also so like the books we have to read for school you can get that it'll read it for you also here's this massive digital collection of large text books that you can read and the hunger games were just in this random like thumb drive i got from school all of them interesting and so i just read i literally sat in my bed with like a computer on my desk i massive print and just i started it and i read it in two days i was just like I've never been so hooked by something in my life. And then I was like, I got to read the next one. Actually, uh, I just read this whole thing in two days. I need a break. And I never went back. Yeah, I think I remember you saying that. The first one, I think, is good. The second one, I don't know. The the main antagonist is the president named Jon Snow. 
Uh, and I really, after is it, watching is it John Snow? No, it's not John okay, Snow. Okay, I was going to say, that's, that one seems kind of <laughs> no. copyrighted right there. <laughs> no, it's not John Snow. I know, I know the no. last name, Snow, yeah. Yeah, the last name. It's like President Snow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I understand like his uh, his reason for the way he acted, but yeah, I totally understand. My number three is The Crimson Campaign by Brian McClellan. Uh, that is book two of the Powder Mage trilogy, which came out in 2014. It's 640 pages, which is roughly about 20 hours. And since it's right in the middle of a trilogy, I'm not going to try to sell you on plot or anything. Just this was my my favorite of the three. But I'm going to try to tell you kind of about the world. So the, the thing that's really cool about the Powder Mage world is that it's um think of a Victorian era gunpowder fantasy. So it still has like your magical elements and things like that. But then there's also some industrialism to it. So it's not steampunk, so it's not water power, but you still got gunpowder and things like that. And along with the, the creation of gunpowder, there's these people that learned that using gunpowder, they get these magical abilities and they're called the powder mages. So some of the stuff they can do is they they actually like ingest gunpowder and it gives them like heightened strength and senses. So you got these like death machines walking around just always snorting powder. So they're 100 percent just like all <laughs> drug addicted and drugged out on gunpowder. With that, they can also detonate gunpowder just by with their thought. So it doesn't matter if it's raining or anything. They can set off their gun that cannons or if they're trying to blow up a target and they sense gunpowder there or they put gunpowder, they plant it, they could remotely blow it up with their minds. And with being able to do that, they can manipulate the the direction of things launched by gunpowder. So say you're trying to shoot a bullet at some a powder mage, they can use the, the gunpowder and deflect it and curve it or, you know, or launch it and have it ch- come back at you. So they kind of almost have this telekinetic sense or they can burst some packets of gunpowder and launch themselves up in the air. And it's just such a cool and unique magic system. And I love, you know, the Victorian era. It's that Civil War style. And it's it's such a great, well thought out, well written series that I would I'd recommend it for anyone that likes fantasy. Go check it out, especially if you like Victorian London, that that uh, French Revolution esque, you know, aesthetic and everything. It's just a, a good time. That sounds like a straight up fever dream of a book. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. So if you see me snorting gunpowder, just trying to turn to a powder mage. You know? <laughs> it is like snorting gunpowder and then flicking your wrist. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, it does not taste good. Let me tell you. I've never. You've tasted gunpowder before? Yeah. It's a war enacting, you know. Oh, yeah. Because on the movies, they all rip it off with your teeth. So a lot of new people, myself included, you want to look cool. So you rip it off with your teeth, spit out the top of the cartridge and then pack it in your, your musket. But it, uh, no, it does not taste good. So you'll, you'll notice a lot of the veterans, we rip it with our hands, veteran Civil War reenactors, because we're just like, you don't want to taste that. Then it turns your, your mouth black and everything. No. So are you guys shooting people? Are you guys shooting things? Uh, it, so it's just blank. So the, the, po- oh, okay. the cartridge is just a bit of gunpowder you put in there and then you cap off your rifle and just goes boom. That's all it does. There's no projectiles or anything in them. And most events, you don't even, does that. The classic ramrod that you see people put out and they they push down a bullet is what they would do in a with a muzzle loader. If you're a hunter and use muzzle loading, you know that. But for the most part, for safety, we don't even touch the ramrod because some people are dumb and will leave their ramrods in the musket. And then you do have a flying projectile coming at you. So holy crap. Luckily, you're what? <laughs> luckily you're standing far enough away where usually it'll just go and land in the, the dirt if that did happen. But most places you just nix it and you're just going to 
pour the powder down there and cap it off. I, I just want to be a fly on the wall on these things. I am so intrigued. Dude, I wish I had uh, a GoPro for some of it and just like had it hidden somewhere. Just absolutely crazy. I I don't know. Like I just would love to watch a bunch of white people just just having fun. You know? Hey, we'll we'll get you in there. I appreciate it. I, I the more I'm hearing about it, the more I don't want to participate. <laughs> I literally just want to be like behind a tree and watch just a forty year old man who has a really like weird job, crappy job, just having fun, you know? It's just LARPing. Just uh more much. socially acceptable. Well, I guess LARPing is even becoming socially acceptable nowadays. It's true. But at the time, I'm just like, I'm never going to LARP. And then we'd go out and Civil War reenact. Because, you know, totally different. <laughs> it's historical. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm blowing up these with my mind. Bah, no. <laughs> Could you imagine if if you like did, <laughs> if you did like, I was like, what are you doing? It's like, have you not read this book? <laughs> <laughs> just think about it. Just think about it. Yeah. And uh, the first book starts off. It's in the prologue. It starts off with a, a coup. So it's it's pretty crazy how these powder mages overthrow the regular, you know, your regular elemental mages. And they basically stage just bloody coup and everything. And that's chapter one right there. So go check out the powder mage trilogy. Mike, what's your number two? My number two is Speaker for the Dead. Not one of the more popular books on my list. Much more well-known book is first book in the series it's ender's game which many more people scott card yeah the guy so if if you're into brandon sanderson and you've ever watched his class online or taken it in byu i believe he took over after orson scott card stopped teaching the class Um, scott card's a mormon but he oh yeah big mormon did not know that uh yeah (laughs) it's there's actually like you can see it in a lot of his books there's little things that you sprinkle in and you're like "Ah." one of my favorite it's so stupid there's this like it was it felt like an accusation like to call it a theory doesn't feel right but people would be like no orson scott card is gay and they'd be really angry about it and you'd be like based on what and you'd be like there is no sex in any of his books and i was like mm. that's the criteria to be i mean like, to be fair i mean it probably <laughs> guys i have, gay a people like to have sex I yeah, have a so, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right like it's like um do you like and it was always church people who'd say it and i was like do you think c.s lewis was gay what tolkien? about tolkien yeah <laughs> like i was like there's so many books without sex for all the books with sex there's so anyway there's that um and it's it true the bible does have sex head. so we can't confirm god is not gay. Right? god is not. we got him take that atheist all the other mcs i wish them well but if you live in sin you burn in hell got him <laughs> but uh so essentially you have ender's game which i also like i i really had to fight between which of those two to pick and ender's game is so actiony and fast paced and speaker of the dead is not it is much slower and more philosophical and contemplative but essentially you have a multi-thousand year gap between book one and book two where ender gets on a spaceship and he moves at near light speed and if you're not into sci-fi essentially when you're moving at rates that are almost at the speed of light you have this relativistic time property that takes place where the people not in the ship are experiencing time at one rate and you're experiencing it much slower. So if you, you spend eight months on a spaceship traveling from one planet to another, you might come out of that experience and find yourself 300 years in the future. Well, this is gonna cost us 51 years. So essentially Ender 
and his sister have outlived everyone else they've ever known. It's just them and they're like these weird relics of the past um, existing. I want to say 4,000 years. It's been a minute since I reread them, but thousands of years in the future. Ender is rich beyond the like the understanding of humans because his money has just been accruing interest for 4,000 years where he just relativistically tr- like basically warps through time. And he's barely even the main character of this book. You meet this whole new family, essentially... Uh, They're on a colony planet where they've discovered the first aliens since the aliens were wiped out at the end of Ender's Game. You know, so you have all these things in place, all these like red tape bureaucracy um, preventing the scientists from asking questions or giving them any kind of information because you don't want to poison the natural growth of these kind of primitive creatures. And you have all this like, you you know, so you get get to like meet these scientists and they're interacting with these new creatures, the Pecaninos. And everything seems to be going really well. And then the Pecaninos kill the lead scientist in this brutal murder. Like you find him like vivisected and his organs are all set out and he's staked to the ground and he's got grass in his mouth. And it's really crazy that you got this young girl whose parents essentially they they were they died, but they were scientists and they they cured this disease that was on the planet. And so, like, her parents are these incredibly famous people, and she wants to be a scientist, but she's all, like, dark and broken and brooding. And she found a home with these these two scientists, the, the head scientist and her son. All of a sudden, this new father figure she found is dead. And so she puts in a request for a speaker for the dead, um, which are these people. It's this new fringe religion that uh, Ender accidentally starts at the end of Ender's game, but has blown up since he's been traveling through time. But he technically is a speaker for the dead. And so he accepts this this call, essentially, to come and speak the life of this dead scientist. Uh, so you have this mystery going on in this thing of like, we're still studying these aliens, but why do they kill this scientist? And then, you know, Ender gets there and, you know, his whole thing is he's got to like th- what the speakers for the dead do is they essentially give a eulogy, but they don't pull any punches. It's purely honest. It's let's tell the actual story of this guy's life. Let's not sugarcoat it and say nice things about them because they're dead. We're just going to be totally truthful. And by the time he's arrived, the son has died in the exact same way that his father died. And so you had this mystery of like, why do they keep killing off the lead scientists? And now and then, you know, uh, somebody else calls for a speaker for the this other guy who died. And he ends up like he has to speak these three deaths. And you you just learn this crazy story of all the interpersonal relationships going on in this small village on an alien planet. And you learn what's going on in the aliens. And it really is just it turns into an incredibly beautiful and thoughtful story just about the nature of people and the nature of interacting with strangers. There's this concept called the the, hier- the hierarchy of strangeness, I believe it's called. Again, it's been a minute since I've read these. I've read them a bunch, but it's just been a second. Where there's like strangers of a different race, and then there are strangers of a different species, so like aliens. And then there's strangers of a different species that you can't communicate with. And then there's hostile aliens that you can't communicate with and they all have these different terms it's an interesting way to think about how we view differentness because you have this 
sci-fi layer of aliens to make it easier to digest. But you can very easily stop and be like, okay, now let's apply this to person, like, like humans and how we interact with each other and how things that we don't other understand about different people can make them seem super alien and inhuman. It's just, it's really great. I, I, I like allegory. We've kind of established that at this point and it's got a ton of very interesting allegory. And so, yeah, it's slower paced than others game, but I think it's, the superior book i think it's beautiful um what's the the ender game has to do with like this kid who's really good at shooting aliens am i um, in the that, right that, realm you're in the right ballpark so okay. the ender's game the concept is aliens attacked a long time ago and we fought them off twice there were two invasions and we beat them and we beat them because this hero mazer rackham was able to save the day and now we're preparing, Earth is preparing for the third invasion, and we have this school for genius children up in space, where essentially we, we, we sift through all the kids and we try and find the smartest, like, we try to find the next Alexander the Great and the next Napoleon, like, people whose mind works for military strategy. And we pluck them out, and we send them to space, and we train them to be the next generals in the war. And this game is interesting because I think you could write an entire book report or essay on the title alone, like what actually is Ender's Game, because there's all these different games that you could point to throughout the book and be like, this, this is Ender's Game. No, no, this is Ender's Game. No, th like, I think there's three main. No, this contenders. is pod racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's three different contenders in my mind for what the actual game is. Lou, what's your number two? All right. My number two is. So I, I don't know if you guys do you guys remember when you first fell in love with books about yes. four years ago now? Wow. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. You're too busy eating gunpowder. Yeah. When I really yeah. felt like I'd read them off and on as a kid. but I didn't like actually fall in love with reading until I started having jobs. I can listen to them. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's a series called The Maze Runner and the movies are kind of trash. I wouldn't recommend watching the movies, but there is. So I watched most of my movies, watched most of my movies. I read most of my books at night, like right before I went to bed. And there's only See, a that, handful. That was primetime Pokemon time. I thought you were going to go a way different direction. Come on, being kids. Probably, Come on, Lou. I'm just saying, we all have to discover our bodies at some point. Um, I have a body? Holy sh**. Yeah. Y'all yeah. are corporeal too? <laughs> What's that D&D uh, spell? It's called like gas form or whatever. Yeah, gaseous form or something like that. Gaseous form. Yeah, I thought about casting that a couple times. I fell in love with the Maze Runner books. They were one of the first series of books that I've ever read. There's a part in book two that absolutely just had me gripping the book that I just did the, the not intention, the suspension suspension. That's a car. The, the suspense in the book had me mind blown. I was I was fully just committed to the book. The book one was really, really good, and it had a really good setup. And then book two came out just absolutely just blaring me in the face, and I was all for it. So if you don't know about Maze Runner, oh, I didn't even say the book. So the book, my number two is the prequel of the Maze Runner called uh, Kill Order. And so oh. I, the reason why I explained the Maze Runner in that part is because it felt like the author took that part of the book that I love so much and made it into a whole book, and I was all for it. So if you don't know anything about the Maze Runner, there was a flare, like a, oh, how do you even say it? There was a solar flare, solar flare. Yeah, I was thinking of like um, superpower, Superman, Goku. It's not really much to it. it. It's about people that are trying to survive the pretty much a zombie like virus called the flare. 
your mind goes blank. You start like beating people up. It, it, I don't know. It's just a very simple, very straightforward book. But the suspense in it and the way that he read it, written it was absolutely all for me. I read this the only book that I ever read in one day, and I'm pretty sure it was a, a 30, 300 page book. I don't know what the what was the book page limit for a novel, Robert? It's well, it go. It's not a page limit. It's sixty thousand words. Ah, words exactly. I have no idea on the words. I didn't count them. Three hundred. You're you're probably good. Am I in the Am I in the right ballpark? I appreciate. Oh yeah. It. I mean, it's hard to recommend Maze Runner. My number one, just like for spoils, my one of my good friends read number one like last year, and she said that was one of the worst books she's ever read. <laughs> Yikes. And it absolutely broke my heart. Um, so I probably will never go back to my number one. I'll never read it again because I want to keep that same love for I have yeah, when I was fair. a teenager. So I can't recommend Maze Runner, but as a teen, it did it for me. Is it just because it is like very teen, like it's written for teens? Is that why you can't recommend it? it it's hard because a lot of these books I read over 10 years ago. So I have no idea how they hold up. I don't even know idea if it's like a Dr. Seuss moment. If one character goes blackface and sings a jingle, like I have no idea. Redfish, bluefish, blackface, who fish, who face. But as a teen, I'm just saying as a teenager, it, it was my favorite book at the time. So my number two published in 2005, it is a, it's a hot take, I think, or at least it was in the past, but it is a feast for crows by George R. R. Martin, which is book four of the Game of Thrones series. Why is it a hot take? People just don't like Thank it. You. It doesn't have a lot of, like, Jon Snow has mentioned it, but didn't have any of his POV ca- chapters. It doesn't have, like, I don't think Sansa's in it, but it doesn't have the the quote-unquote big ones. Jamie is probably the biggest name in there. The reason why, one of the reasons why I love book four so much is up until that point in the show, it was pretty faithful to the book. So seasons one and two were books one and two. Then seasons three and four, which are like the most beloved seasons of the show, was book three. And after that, they just went off in their own plot. And I watched the show first. So this was very much new stuff to me. Like there's some there's some overlap with some of the characters like Cersei and all that. But there was a lot so much new stuff that it it was a joy. It felt like a, a whole new experience to me. And in my opinion, I liked a lot of the side characters that they had, the quote unquote side characters and Martin really adds to the, the mystical part of the world in here. Like you start, it introduces this this character called Euron Crozai Greyjoy, which arguably the show did the most dirty. His whole motive in the show is he wants to stick a finger up the queen's bum. But in the in the books, he is this person that's like basically churning himself into an eldritch horror, like this Cthulhu type deity. It's been prophesied that basically he's going to bring a, the apocalypse down in Westeros. And it is some of the most like vile villainy stuff. Like you think characters written to do evil just for evil's sake usually are very boring. But this guy is just Martin writes him so well. And it's just so interesting and all the stuff he does and how it's tied into his the, the deep magic of the world. And then there's, you know, stuff with Old Town and the, the deep magic there. And on top of that has Jamie Lannister, which is probably my favorite character in all of Game of Thrones. One of the best redemption arcs in literature. Uh, he goes from very first chapter he's put of Game of Thrones. He's pushing a kid out of window because he walks in on him sleeping with his sister. So obviously at your first you hate you absolutely hate this guy. And it's crazy that the community just loves him by the end of book five where we're at right now. And it has some of the best female point of view characters, especially for her, like a more medieval perspective. There's this character called Brienne of Tarth, and she's your 
she's your most typical like Hollywood strong woman type thing. But she's written in a sense that like it, this is not the normal for women. And she gets a lot of flack for that. And she has to fight through it. And it's just crazy seeing how much crap she gets for it. And she has to struggle like more because of like her strength and all that. And it's crazy just what she does and the the fights and kind of things that she goes through in there. And along with that, you see you get Cersei Lannister chapters, which you see the manipulation, which she's not the best at in the books. Uh, and just kind of how she works using um, secrets, lies and deceptions and all that. One last thing is, if you've never read Game of Thrones, I'd highly recommend it. George R. R. Martin is another fantastic prose writer. I was watching an interview with him and Stephen King and Stephen King and historically not the biggest fan of fantasy. He's he thinks they're boring. But I just remember he's like, Game of Thrones, surprisingly a page turner, which for saying something for Stephen King, because he doesn't like I don't think he likes Lord of the Rings. He doesn't like Wheel of Time and like the the the, the classics of fantasy. Whoa, 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 hold on. Stephen King loves Lord of the Rings. Really? I thought I read I thought I heard that he didn't. No, you got that backwards. That's that was uh, the Wheel of Time was his. The whole thing is his. It's like him doing his version of Lord of the Rings. Like that's him. Like I mean, Dark trying Tower. to. Uh, Yes, excuse me, Dark Tower. Yeah, it's his ode to Tolkien. Okay. He loves the guy. So I, I messed up there. But I know he absolutely hates Wheel of Time because he thinks it's it's boring as I'll get out. And maybe that's why I thought because it kind of there's some similar Tolkien-esque things. So maybe it was just a misconnection in my brain. I don't think I said it. It's 784 pages, which is weird because it ties the exact amount of page count as my number one, which is 34 hours of audiobook. If you thought the, the show went down after season four, it's crazy. I don't know why they didn't go with this. Like, it's just wild how much the, the writers were in, started becoming complacent. And uh, yeah, book book four is my favorite. I, think, I have not watched past episode one and I have not read any of the books. Would recommend oh, I have. Wow. I said that's very surprising. Is yeah, it? I I watched the first episode. And I was like, you know, I think I've seen enough Twincest. I'm all set. I'm good. You don't actually get any point of views of the Twincest in the books. So that's a plus. It's also not a sexual. The show, they were told they basically had to put as much, you know, nudity in there to try to sell the show as possible. So it's it's not as graphic in that sense in the books, but it's mm-hmm. it can be just as brutal. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you took out all the nudity in the Game of Thrones, it would still be one of the best TV shows of all time still. Mm-hmm. What do you think about um, Hodor and how they did him? I, I like the twist with Hodor. That hasn't happened yet in the books. And like Rothis, even more famously... Martin is, I think the last one was released in 2011 was when the last Game of Thrones was. So we've been waiting for a long time and it's always like, oh, we're almost there. We're, we're, or the dragons are coming is the South Park joke. But it's a uh, it's going to be really sad if he doesn't at least get, you know, the next book out when wins a winner. But we'll, we'll see what happens with the series. But it is just some of the best fantasy you can get. I could go on and on. I've, it, it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't have a problem with the last season except for what they did to the the winter was it the winter night or winter the king? night king night king that's the only problem that i truly truly had and and letting a cripple be king i think is absolutely insane they didn't all, have, didn't have a good reason for it yeah exactly they say that he had the hardest life so he needed to be king but no um, no he had the best story that was best it. story yes 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 i think i didn't have a problem with it because i just binged through everything i didn't watch it per season so mm. i didn't have to wait yeah uh, to see this like crazy ending and then yeah brianna toth is hands down my favorite character she in, is in so the- ba yeah, and then the fact that how how they built up the hound in in a certain way, and 
and then absolutely just Brian just absolutely just tanked his ass. So cool. I watched the show first. As I, as I said, I um, I was like, Lou, I, I binged it. But then I got I think the second se- episode of season nine was coming out right when I, I caught up to it. I did it during finals, which I would not recommend. But hey, I graduated. <laughs> you said uh, Brienne's your favorite character, though, Lou? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, all the characters are probably the best written characters I've ever experienced. Mike, why don't you bring us on home with your number one? My number one is a book called The Last House on Needless Street. Ooh, I it is surprised. A- number one. I've only read it once. It is a very dark book, but it has one of, if not the most beautiful and uplifting endings out of any book I've ever read. It's wild. I was try- I tried to describe it to people as I was reading it, and my best description was it's kind of a mystery, but it's not so much a who done it as a what the heck is going on. The uh, the first chapter starts off uh, being narrated by this guy Ted. And it's 10 or 11 years to the day after what an event that he calls Girl with Ice Cream Cone, where essentially Girl went missing. And because he's just a weird guy who lives alone at the end of the street in the area, somehow he was a suspect and he got like doxxed by the newspaper. And so everybody assumed like, oh, this guy definitely kidnapped this girl. But the police showed up and there was absolutely no evidence that he did so. And then he proceeds to start hanging out with his daughter, who's just the right age. And you're like, oh, so is this girl, did did he kidnap the girl? Is this actually his daughter? What's going on? And you're, you're a little uncertain. And then the next book, or the next chapter is narrated by his cat. And it's all from the perspective <laughs> of the cat. And the, the cat refers to all humans as Ted, but she refers to the main character Ted as her Ted, capital T. And it's just... It, it, it's like, wait, what? I'm sorry. Like, And then uh, we get this new plot point of this girl who's decided to move into an abandoned house on Needless Street because she's learned about Ted and she's been searching for her sister, the girl with the ice cream cone, for 10 years. And so she's convinced she's going to find her sister and bust Ted. And it's just, it's this absolutely mind bending psychological thriller where sometimes it's from the perspective of this girl looking from her sister. Sometimes it's from the perspective of Ted and Ted is clearly unwell. Like you can't tell what's going on, uh, whether it's trauma in his past or if it's some kind of neurodivergency, you you can't put your finger on it, but you know, Ted's different. It just constantly has you going through this cycle of reevaluating and changing your opinions on the character and you don't know who the good guy is or who the bad guy is. It's wild. It's mind boggling. There was a point. There's also another cat called Midnight. And there was a point where I was convinced, like hands down, the only answer is that Ted and the daughter and both cats are all the same person. Like (laughs) I had, and it was just one of like 35 guesses. I like, I was texting our buddy Lucas and I was just like, dude, I'm reading this book and this is how like screwed up in the head I've become is that like this is my best guess. Yeah, it's one of those multiple kind of reveal things where you're like, oh, OK. Oh, but there's more. Oh, and there's more. And each of them is just more interesting than the next. And by the end, you're like, wow, for all the dark depth and just the brutality that I 
put myself through reading this book. When you come out the other side, it is actually just so beautiful. So hopefully I, d- I didn't give too much away. I think it's about a 10, 10 and a half hours on audio an audiobook. Yeah, I have it's not it. Too... It's on my list. I just haven't gotten to oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not too terribly long, but absolutely just a wild time. I know a lot of people I've heard say, like, I don't like to read books that are just dark and leave me depressed. And I totally get that. But this one is worth your time because it does have an incredibly happy ending. Lou, what's your number one? All right, my number one that my friend absolutely pooped on and broke my heart is Looking for Alaska by John Green, uh, 2005. So it's about a male teen who leaves his old school and goes to a boarding school in in Alabama nope. based off of a book that he read. No Wait, idea. I'm sorry. The title is Looking for Alaska. Yeah. But he's in and Alabama. he goes to Alabama. Alaska is the girl. That's oh, OK. Yeah. Got it. Yep. 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 So you probably know John Green by Fault of the Stars. Uh, oh. That was his popular book at the time. I don't know. I just wanted to be different as a child. I think this book was actually recommended to me by my English teacher back in like eighth grade. I don't know. Maybe I felt like a little too young to to read this uh, book. But I mean, here I am. I'm perfectly fine. So, yeah. So <laughs> as as fine as I could be. Except for I'll give you that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As fun as they could be. Shout out to God. He does it, doesn't he? Shout out he does. God. Shout out to oh, God's yeah. The original God's was, that, was that a world's first? Like I've never heard anyone shout out God on a podcast before. Here um, we are. I don't think we're the first. Here we are. America's number one podcast. Don't look it up. So yeah, so it's about a teen who leaves his old school, joins a boarding school, finds that his roommate is becomes good friends with his roommates, and then through his roommate meets a girl named Alaska and just how the book is written as an eighth grader absolutely just felt like it was me. Alaska for me was the coolest girl of all time. And I was infatuated by Alaska. Just even the name just had me just enthralled. Is that the right word? Give you chills. It is. It just gave me chills. It it just did it for me. And so the main character doesn't want to be interested in Alaska. Alaska. Alaska smokes cigarettes, so he starts smoking cigarettes. He tries to pretend like he doesn't like Alaska. Like, I feel like we all do as a child. Classic. When we were like, yeah, classic. Like, I'm not interested in you. I just want to be your friend. Throw uh, Alaska you. tries to get. I'm sorry. What did you say? Robert? Nothing. I didn't say anything. Okay. Uh, Alaska tries to get the main character, Miles, a girlfriend, and he goes on a group date with the girl. He gets hit with a basketball and throws up on her. Oh, Um, it's just it's just absolutely it just hit me, man. It was so good. This book and then it, it completely just left turns it. It it talks about grief and how young adult relationships and mental illness and absolutely blew my mind on what a book could be. And this is why it's number one. There's a couple phrases, uh, quotes that I love about this book. There's a Asian character, and this was before even my weeb days. Or this is like just starting on how cool I thought Asian people were. Uh, one of the Asian characters says, I'm a mother fox. No one can catch the fox. Ooh, got him. <laughs> just, Can't catch him. I remember laughing so hard at like 10 o'clock at night where my parents opened the door was like, what the hell is going on? He's like, I catch a mother fox. Bam! <laughs> So good. And they're like, honey, call and the then, priest. Our son's been possessed. <laughs> I just remember reading it and just being like, this is the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. And then I'd rather wonder 
then get the answer I couldn't live with. I was like, whoa. This hit me hard. Hit me real hard. I I don't know if I should recommend the book because my adult friend read it and was like, this is unreadable. (laughs) She said, I could barely actually read the book. It's so bad. But if you could go back in time in in early eighth grade, ninth grade, I would recommend the book for you. If if you had a daughter, would you name her Alaska? So it was uh, that, that uh, change your life that much? No, Alaska. Oh, so. spoiler! <laughs> you can't, can't, you can't say that nowadays. Oh, honor lives yourself. Right, thank you. Yes. Now, now you people don't know what we're talking about. Bastard. <laughs> so no, I wouldn't name. I wouldn't name my daughter after a character that I love that. Also, I mean, let's Bro, be honest. Oh, you can't say that word ah, either. Sh- lives yourself. I'm sorry. Also, Rage quit life, please. I don't know if we, if I got my point across. I was hopelessly in love. To sender. Oh god, I was hopelessly in love with Alaska. I don't think I would name my child after a that, character. That's fair. I wanted to absolutely bone. What I meant, like, you just like, it's a nice name. It doesn't have to be after them. You just like the name. I don't know. I mean, I tried to name, I think I tried to name my sister. I tried to convince my mom to name my sister Susie. Uh, and my mom looked at me dead in the eyes and was like, Snoop Dogg had a song and Susie was in it. And Susie sucked a lot of dick in that song. So I'm not going to name my daughter Susie. <laughs> well, that's just keeping it real. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's my number one. It was released in 2009. And it's The Gathering Storm by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. It is my favorite Wheel of Time book, which, as we speak, currently Wheel of Time is my, my favorite series, my favorite literature series of all time. So I felt like a gimme for number one. I'm not going to go too much into it because this is book 12. That's a lot of that's a lot of backstory. I'm not going to even try to attempt to explain. No, I want to hear it, Robert. Up. Go for it. You got five right. minutes. Uh, so to start us off, there's this guy named Luceran Talamon, who was also the dragon. He banished the Dark One, but then the Dark One ended up obtaining the male half of the magic system. So he went crazy and killed his whole family, created Dragon Mount. All right, now we go about a uh, whole era later. No, I mean, you were killing it. I was. I was into it. I forgot that Wheel of Time had a male and a female magic. Yeah. Uh, split. Yeah. And uh, the male half is tainted. So all the people that touch the or use the mail, they call it like touching the source. But touch use the, the mail? Use the, all the people that use the mail magic end up going insane and killing everyone they love. And of course, the, the prophesied hero of the world is going to be a male magic user. So no one wants to be the dragon reborn. But this is 12 books into all that deep lore. It merely focuses on the main character, Randall Thor and Egwene Alvir. It is, I should mention it's set also 784 pages and for 33 hours of your time. My favorite scenes... I'm not going to give you guys any context because there's deep spoilers there. Rand in Simirog, great scene. Um, Rand doing a full Kamehameha of Balefire, if you know, you know. Egwene attending the Armalyn's dinner party, great scene. Uh, classic is Varen, your dress is green, Mathwin. And then lastly, the very end scene, Dragon Mount. I knew he wouldn't do it, but the writing was so well that I thought there was a chance he might. Which is just crazy when you know there's two books continuing and there's no way this world anything is going to happen. But Sanderson did such a, a good job of writing where I'm just like, he's not going to do it, right? Like, there's, there's no way. How are you going to do this with two more books? And I, I think Wheel of Time in itself is one of the best realized and fleshed out fantasy worlds. Originally written by Robert Jordan. He ended up passing away. And this is the first one that uh, Sanderson took over. He was a huge fan, read them as they came out. And it really kind of launched Sanderson's career, too, after he wrote the this is after he wrote Mistborn. And even just the it's it's like a eulogy. It's like a foreword about 
like how much of an honor it is. It made me tear up a little bit, and I wasn't even reading these as they, they came out. Go check it out. I feel like fantasy. Wheel of Time is going to sound crazy, but if you get like four books in and you're like, nah, this isn't for me, go ahead and just just end it right there um, with the, the, the series, by the way. There, there's plenty for you to keep on reading. Just maybe this series is not for you. And yeah, it's my, my favorite book and my favorite fantasy series. Hence, it is my number one. Hell yeah, cool. dude. That's awesome. <laughs> do you have them on oh, hardcover? I, I, I do. I bought them on hard. I, so I originally bought them on audiobook. So I'm like, I, I'm loving this series so much. I bought them on hardcover. There's this place that does like super fancy custom made covers. And there's one they have for the whole 15 book set. That's the the banner of the dragon that just looks beautiful, but it's like 200 bucks. So I, I just keep on saving like two bucks a month and eventually I'll have enough in 100 months to, to buy it. And then I'll probably be 300 bucks by then with inflation at this rate. <laughs> Lou, what are we talking about next week? So next week we're talking about top five things that grind your gears. Why don't we really? Uh, it's going to be you're going to have to dig deep. Uh, but you can't talk about anything crazy like politics or certain religions <laughs> or COVID. Those, ro- those pastafarians, man, they really grind my gears. <laughs> I was say, I noticed that you left race on the table. Right. Whoa. <laughs> I was kind of connecting. And uh, gender. <laughs> That's the first two that came to my mind. Give me a break. But all silly stuff. Nothing, nothing serious. Yeah, keep it light keep it light all right well thank you guys for listening to this episode of the top podcast if you're watching on youtube please give us a like comment subscribe it goes a long way for us if you're listening on apple podcasts or spotify please give us a five-star review and leave a comment read on the podcast other than that we hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time hope you toppers have a great day peace out bye